Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Today, we are going to talk with Terry Iverson, a man on a mission. Terry's day job is running Iverson and Company, an almost 90-year-old company selling new and used machine tools and integrated solutions in the greater Chicago area. But his real passion is to illuminate the opportunities for careers in manufacturing through an organization he started, Champion Now. Terry's customers had and have voiced a common refrain, not being able to find adequate skilled workers. Terry decided to do something about it, and Champion Now is the result. He wants to wake up America to understand why manufacturing in the USA is so important, why someone would want to work in manufacturing, and how to mentor and educate the next generation of manufacturing workers. He's the author of the book, Finding America's Greatest Champion, and he speaks often to a variety of organizations to spread his message. I know he will be preaching to the choir today, but what I hope is you take away some specific ways that you can interact with different groups in your community, primarily the educational ones, to bring young people into the manufacturing fold. And if you are not already taking action items, to prompt and prod you to do those yourself. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Terry. Good morning, Jay. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So excited to get into some items that we can all do as shop owners and make a difference in our community. But before we start talking about that, I wanted to ask you, because you're in the machine tool industry, what industry trend you're seeing in your area of the country, the greater Chicago area? And 
for the listener, it's early August 2020 and COVID is still raging in parts of the country. So if you can just share some of those things that are happening in your area, Terry. Well, what I've seen is, you know, a number of people that would be buying machine tools because they have the current need. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, because of COVID and because of cash flow is, is so uh, critical for all of us, is they've, you know, kind of pulled back a little bit in trying to conserve cash. And despite the fact that they probably do, in some cases, have a need for, you know, new equipment, but they want to, you know, pull back and try to wait this out and preserve cash and preserve personnel so that when this gets rocking and rolling again, you know, they're, they don't miss a beat, but it's a, it's a tough time right now. Are you seeing any difference between the attitudes of smaller shop owners and larger shop owners, or is it uniform? Well, I think smaller shop owners, you know, their cash flow and their reserves are probably not quite as vast as larger shops. And so, you know, they may have, you know, a critical mass of people that they have to retain. To the larger shops out there, they may have a certain percentage of their workforce that they don't, that they may be able to furlough or they may be able to, you know, reduce hours. But the smaller shops, you know, let's say five-man shops to maybe 25-man shops, you know, pretty much each and every person is critical. So they have to retain Mm -hmm. that talent. And as we both know, having, you know, obtaining the talent and also retaining the talent is critical. Right. And are there any industries that are continuing to buy and then are you seeing ones that have particularly shut down? Well, automotive has been hit very hard from what I can tell. The other, the people that are in medical, especially those with the PPE equipment manufacturing, Mm -hmm. uh, they're gangbusters. Defense is still going, you know, reasonably well. Aerospace has always been strong, but it's probably a lot less strong right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boeing, I know, has made a lot of cutbacks because of the obvious air travel restrictions and and the lack of air travel around the country and the world. Yeah. I didn't realize until somewhat recently that Chicago is actually the headquarters of Boeing. Everybody thinks of them in Washington state, but do they actually do any manufacturing in the greater Chicago area? Well, I think most of their manufacturing is still based, to my knowledge, is all based in Washington. They do have a number of actual, you know, jobbers and contract Mm -hmm. machine shops in the area. But I want to say it was probably, and I may be off on this, but it's probably five within the last decade, but probably five, seven years ago, maybe mm-hmm. less, that they moved the headquarters to Chicago, downtown Chicago. Yeah. So Iverson and Company, almost 90 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about what your firm does? And obviously you share the same last name. So there's probably some link there as well. There is, there is. Well, my, my, our family business started back in 1931 and my grandfather started it. He was, he worked for a machine tool builder here in Chicago mm-hmm. and they moved out into uh, New York state. And so he stayed behind and started our company representing them. So my dad got involved in the 19, late 1950s and I got involved in 1980. But we sell machine tools, and over the years, we've developed an expertise in a, in a certain, you know, very precise turning work or turning equipment. Mm. And then we also rebuild tool room lathes as a rebuilder, 
And then we also have been selling to the technical education market as far as manual lathes and manual mills. And my background with the technical education sector helps in that regard. So if you got on a lathe, can you actually make parts? Not very well, but yes. I, I never claimed to be the best machinist. In fact, when I actually ran a Warner and Swayze AC chucker for my uncle, I was not known very well as, as the supreme machinist. But you did run. Did run I did. I did. I, I have an engineering background, so my expertise to help my customers is more in applications and how to process parts mm-hmm. than, than actually doing it. Finding the right machine, finding the right process, that's something that all 40 years of my career that I've been you know, very involved in. What states do you guys cover? We're located in Illinois. We sell new equipment into Illinois, Wisconsin, and portions of Indiana. Mm-hmm. But then we sell used equipment and rebuild uh, tool room lays all over the country. Oh, all over the country. Gotcha. And... Over, let's just say, the time that you've been with the company, how many machine tools do you think that you've placed roughly in shops? <laughs> well, at one time, back in the probably the mid-80s, we, we had this discussion. And since our beginning, mm-hmm. I think we came to the, you know, and keep in mind, way back when, it was a lot of the manual machines, right? Yeah. So in the, from the beginning, somewhere along the line, we have sold in excess of 10,000 machine tools. Now, I grant you, over the years, you know, for the early decades, a lot of that was manual machines, manual lathes primarily. Well, let's zero in on, say, the last decade. How many shops would you say are customers? You know, over the years, in the last decade, I would say we probably have focused on somewhere around, you know, probably 500 to 1,000 different points of contact. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be, you know, one machine tool. Sometimes it'll be multiple machine tools. And we've literally branched out in the educational sector to dozens of high schools and community colleges. So I asked that question as a lead up to what you're doing now. And mm-hmm. you've had lots and lots of conversations, both with people who bought from you as well as those who have not. And those conversations have led you to the organization which you created Champion Now. But can maybe you could bring us back to the beginning. How did it evolve? How did this whole idea that you wanted to be involved in helping to create a skilled workforce, bring us back to that beginning? Well, I've tried not to do it. Let me say that first, because <laughs> um, it, it is a daunting task, Jay. And every time I try to push away from the table, so to speak, I keep getting pushed back in. But I think it was IMTS probably in the mid-90s. One of my counterparts, one of my peers that sold the same type of equipment that I did, Mm -hmm. made a comment that, you know, we need to focus on education. And I had just a little bit of, of exposure to technical education, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I kind of did a deep dive in the mid-90s into community colleges and then eventually high schools. And then I ended up getting on what, a number of... What does a deep dive mean? Well, a deep dive, uh, good question. A deep dive is got to know the landscape of the technical education in this area. 
And so I would visit high schools, community colleges, technical colleges in the surrounding states. Mm -hmm. And so after that, then I got to learn a little bit, you know, who the players were, you know, what their focus was, what their strengths and weaknesses were. And then ultimately started selling equipment to the technical schools, including high schools. Mm -hmm. Then having said that, then I started getting on advisory boards, both community colleges and uh, high schools. And then nationally, I got on uh, two or three boards, one at TMA here locally, Education Foundation, one in Washington, D.C., the CTE, Career and Technical Education Foundation, and then one called FLATE down in Florida. Hmm. So I got so insanely, in my opinion, connected and, and engrossed in trying to make a difference because I think education for skilled labor is, is the one and only means to get more employees into the job shops and into the entire manufacturing sector that I, you know, I, I kind of took a step back and it's like, you know, unless I start a movement or start an organization or ultimately eventually write a book, I can't really reach enough people mm -hmm. uh, and I can't reach enough students. I can't reach enough parents. I can't reach enough industry members or educators. With these organizations get involved in speaking in front of other groups on their behalf, was the speaking sort of in parallel as you developed this idea of how you could make a difference? Good question. Well, the word champion is an acronym, which is change how American manufacturing is perceived in our nation. And it's, it's a very long acronym. I, I understand that. But manufacturing needs a positive image. And, and what better word than champion for a positive mm -hmm. image? So I started out speaking at schools, initially high schools, and trying to get high schools down to IMTS to learn about manufacturing. When and was then, the first time you started doing that? Was that back in the 90s as well? It was. Yeah. I want to say okay. it was probably 96 or 98 at the latest. And let me say that, that Harry Mosier, who, who I think you know very yeah, well. We've had him on the podcast. Yeah, Harry Mosier was an inspiration to me. Yeah. He got me to start speaking at high schools back in the 90s. And then the more I got involved in education, I thought, you know, Harry's doing this, this great movement where he's reshoring manufacturing in this country. Mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, everyone's telling me the same thing. We can't find enough skilled people. And yet here's Harry doing a great job bringing companies back into the fold, into the U.S. for manufacturing, which makes it even more important that we find right. more skilled workers. So in terms of Champion Now, I ended up starting it in 2012, mm -hmm. and it was during, I think, a shutdown. So I turned in my paperwork for a 501c3, and it took months and months and months because of the backlog of uh, the shutdown. And then, and then, you know, I really didn't have, I think, adequate credibility until finally I decided, you know, that I would ultimately write a book, and I felt that really gave the organization more credibility. That's interesting. You use the book then to establish credibility. And obviously it has a lot of ideas and beliefs contained within it, but just by being an author that gives you that mark of approval then. I don't know if I agree with just being an author. I think putting the passion and time and effort in collecting a lot of 
really good concepts and really good ideas and taking the best of the best that I've seen, which means mm-hmm. there's, still, there's still more of the best of the best out there. Yeah. But by collecting all that information in one night, nice, neat little package, it gives so much credence to how important manufacturing is in our country and how desperately need, we need the next generation to embrace it. How much of your work week does Champion Now and related activities, I guess, non, non-Iverson and company, how much time do you spend per week? I guess I could say too much, but I'm very passionate about it. Sure. So, you know, the normal work week for, for most people is 40 hours. I mean, I haven't seen a 40-hour week probably since 1980 when I started. Mm-hmm. But I would say there's a good 15 to 20 hours of my week that are related in some fashion to the organization, to preaching the message, so to speak, the book, mm-hmm. or the likes of it. So, you know, I still I still do a full-time job, but I also do a lot of mission work, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. How many times a year, let's say, non-COVID in 2019, did you speak to audiences? Well... I used to speak a lot more at local high schools and that would probably be sometimes a dozen or more times a year. Mm -hmm. And then after I finished writing the book, uh, then I would be called out nationally to do more speaking. And sometimes that was with uh, the organization for flight. And Mm -hmm. then other times it was associations that were doing meetings and I was just getting started uh, with that when, when COVID came around. When you initially started speaking, so I'm thinking of a job shop owner who wants to spread the message locally. Did you invite yourself or did people reach out to you? How did that, how did you get to speak in front of high schools or community or technical colleges? I tried to take a leadership role in a lot of the schools that I deal with. Mm -hmm. I feel it's, I feel the value proposition is if I'm selling a, a school equipment, that I need to do more than just provide equipment to them and service. Mm-hmm. I need to give them uh, a vision of, you know, some of the people that are doing things out there that are leading cutting edge, so to speak, in education. And I tried to speak to fill their seats, so to speak, in their technical programs. Because sometimes I, I, had a, I still have a relationship with Edge Factor. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. But, but they're, a, they're a video production organization, company, and Jeremy is the owner and, and chief uh, creator, so to speak. And he shows all sorts of videos that inspire young people to go into manufacturing. So I would show these videos. I would talk about the numbers that I get from, from NAM and, and other manufacturing institute and, and other numbers that I just intuitively know. And mm-hmm. I would speak about the details and, and the intrigue and the challenge and the, and, and the payback and in, in the good uh, paying careers in manufacturing. But then there was an inspirational part that I would reach upon Edge Factor with videos, which was very compelling. That's really neat. Are they local to you then? No, no, they're actually a Canadian uh, company. And <laughs> I think they also have a, a US division as well. And I met Jeremy and Edge Factor in 2000, I think it was 2013, I believe. Is year 12 or 13? thinking if I own a machine shop Mm -hmm. and I'm not in your line of work, so I am not selling to 
a school, what would you suggest as a path to get invited to speak in front of the right people at the school? Well, the one thing I wouldn't recommend is, is to go quite as deep as I have because, you know, it's re being realistic is important, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to have someone say, I can do that is, is the first step. Mm. So what I would recommend is to look at Project Lead the Way, which is a, a project-based learning program within high schools. Mm -hmm. And what I would suggest is look at your local high schools that are not far away from your, your, either your home or your company. Mm -hmm. And then dedicate either yourself or one of your, your top people that understand, you know, the passion of the industry and get involved in, in that project lead the way program at that high school. And they'll want you to speak, you know, career days. They'll want you to speak in front of classes and uh, they'll be very eager to embrace you. Well, we're getting into some of the actionable items now that are in your book, but, and I want to, be sort of structured in how we talk about those through the different levels of education. Before we get into that, though, you just mentioned that you or someone in your organization, and I think that that's a critical part, is that if a job shop owner is listening, they may say, oh my God, I have so many things to do. And it's important to point out that it doesn't have to be you or at least you all of the time. And actually the larger the shop, the more people who should be involved in the outreach efforts. Do you wanna talk about that? What you've seen perhaps in some of the shops who support you on your mission? Sure, I think your point's valid. <clears throat> Jay, what I would suggest is first of all, the message has to come from the top down. Yes. Now that that doesn't mean that the owner or the CEO or president has to be the feet on the street, but the priority has to be given and the resources has to be given by, you know, the boss. So mm -hmm. And so once that happens, I, I've met a number of job shop owners, some are close friends, that they are the person that go to the advisory board meetings and talk to the class, but they're usually smaller shops too, right? Okay. But then I've also seen large organizations where they take a young person, you know, because, you know, mm -hmm. obviously this is a good thing to have a young person talk to young people, right? Sure. So they'll, they'll take a young person that's, that's, you know, maybe five years into the career and then okay. they'll assign them to spend significant time and that'll be part of their job description. And so it's, it's very advantageous when you have a young person speaking to young people about them going into the career. So it can work both ways, but it, it's the message has to come from the top down for sure. I totally agree with you. And I'll just share some of the things that we did in Rapid to make it not just me, but a organizational priority because we were growing quite rapidly, pun intended. And we had to constantly be hiring and some people we could train and upskill, but others, we, they just had to have some skills coming in. So we were very committed to helping the local community engage and train the workforce to help us and, of course, help others in manufacturing locally. So I'll, I'll just share one of the things I did, as 
you mentioned when we were smaller, I would do a lot of the speaking myself and be very active. But as time evolved, I had general managers at different divisions. The general managers would be engaged and have some of the responsibility. And it was known to them that that was important. HR was specifically tasked with having a very tight relationship with the local community college who had a machining program as as well as a quality program. And we helped them initiate the quality program because finding adequate skilled quality folks is hard as well. People think just the machinist, but okay, great. We've got parts. Who's going to inspect them? So quality was super important. We donated Mastercam software to that community college. We had multiple team members who were primarily at the community college instructing in the evenings. And we just encouraged in so many different ways for people to spread the gospel of manufacturing. We were, you're going to talk about manufacturing day a little bit, but we would open up our doors and we would have busloads of high school students come in from the ones who had technical programs. We would have a open house once a year and we actually encouraged our competitors to come in and walk around and as well as the families of all of our team members. We thought that that was important because it beyond uh, allowing the team members to share the what they're doing with their families. I think it also, because they were bringing their children, gave them a sense of what manufacturing could be too. So just so many wins with an open house once a year. That's some of the stuff that we did at Rapid. But let's let's talk about the some of the specifics that you outlined and maybe starting with the community in general. Sure. I, what we can I, do. Yeah, well, I think the... From the community standpoint, I think it's important that you have, first of all, a, a social presence to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there has to be some background and foundation before you go out and speak and before you go out and, and promote mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing careers. So you got to have a presence, especially when you're, you're preaching to a young audience. When you, meet, when you say presence, what do you mean? Just that the community is, is aware that your company exists? Or are you talking about you as a person? Probably a company, the company first and foremost. But when it comes to, you know, Facebook and Twitter and mm-hmm. other platforms that young people uh, can relate to, I think it's important that you're there first and then yep. you show up second. Gotcha. So, you know, if you do, if you show up at, and, and you're involved and engaged in front of young people and you don't have a presence, then they go to look and, and you kind of lose credibility with the young audience. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it sounds like, again, probably most of the listeners, if they are shop owners, are not the ones who want to be posting on social media. So it's a great way to get that younger person involved in your shop again. Totally. Totally. And and the people that I've interviewed in the book, in particular, in subsequent following books, you know, they they have their young, sometimes it's the owner's son or the (laughs) owner's daughter in, you know, to that point, you know, there's way too few women in our industry. 
Mm-hmm. So if you have a champion within your organization that, that's a young lady, there's no, you know, it's a, it's a double, triple win to have mm. them to be the ambassador. So, sure. you know, now you're, now you're appealing to the young, young women at these schools that they see this individual, this young woman uh, as a role model. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to see than, than an old guy like me coming in and saying, hey, manufacturing's great, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, Manufacturing Day, we had, a, we had a years ago in 2012, to be precise, we had a meeting here with uh, Edge Factor and many, many leaders around the country. And FMA at the time, they were out in Rockford, they've since moved, but they were at, the, at this meeting. And one of the things that Edge Factor and I, Jeremy and I were trying to convey is that we need to visually promote manufacturing and mm-hmm. we need an opportunity a day to promote our craft out in the marketplace or out in the culture. Right. And uh, Pat Lee from FMA at the time, she stood up and she says, hold on a second. We have something on our board of directors agenda to approve and it's called manufacturing day. So literally right after that FMA approved manufacturing day and it became an event. And for those people that don't know about manufacturing day, Basically, you're opening your doors to be able to promote your businesses and your processes and your careers mm-hmm. uh, to, the, to the public. What I think is really cool is, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Right. The manufacturers of today, the, especially the really successful ones, you know, their shops are clean. Their, their processes are automated. Yeah. And um, once again, I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> But to get a mom and dad and, and a child, uh, son or daughter, to come through and see it firsthand, man, that's that's the secret sauce right there. You just mentioned something which I think is super important is that we have to erase the stigma of manufacturing being dark and dingy to the parents of somebody who may be thinking about entering manufacturing because the young person who's exploring career options is definitely going to be influenced by their folks. So, yeah, I think the easy, the, the easy part, there, there's two elements to this, to this uh, passion and, and mission I'm on. Mm-hmm. The easy component is you, you have a computer, right? On a machine tool, or you have, you know, digital inspection in your shop, right? Mm-hmm it's really easy to think that a young person who's grown up on technology their whole lives, ever since they were four or five years old, it's a pretty easy transition to say, look, look at all this digital excitement, right? Right. They've been challenged visually, you know, ever since they came out of the womb, basically. Mm -hmm. The challenge is the parents and it's very difficult to reach them. And it's very difficult to bridge beyond our culture and get to the parents so that they'll have the opportunity to allow their young person to look at manufacturing careers. Yeah. And let's face it, we're fighting the media. We're fighting old perceptions, decades and decades of, of antiquated perceptions. And to be honest, as an industry, we've done a poor job at marketing our, our craft and marketing our careers and we have to step it up. Yeah. It's a small thing, but it made me think of, something that we did at rapid and and the intent was not to educate the community or promote rapid to the community but every year we gave out 
two t-shirts to folks. Actually, you get two t-shirts when you join the company and then you get another t-shirt every year. And we would have on the front, say rapid machining. And then on the back every year, we had a different saying or slogan or motivational phrase. And it usually tied into a theme that we were working on but it also was sort of a status symbol on the number of different t-shirts you had when you were coming into work. But I would often see those out and about on weekends. And it was really cool seeing Rapid embedded in the local community just by wearing a t-shirt, as well as I'm thinking it, you've probably done something like that with all the schools and just different people. We would sometimes send them to customers. So, something as simple as a t-shirt it makes your team members happy they always are very proud to be wearing the company logo at work and it also has that benefit of making the community aware that hey there's a manufacturing company and just those little things they they all add up so mm -hmm. now what, one of the things i did at a palatine high school here locally because mm -hmm. I had some Champion Now shirts, and I was trying to come up with a concept of promoting the industry, well, actually the Project Lead the Way class within their school. Mm -hmm. And so their particular instructor, you know, leader of that department, Mark, I gave him some shirts, and I said, here, here's, you know, five, ten shirts to your, to your leaders in your project, in your class. Here's, you know, ten fabric uh, pens see between these 10 students who can get the most signatures within the class on uh, their shirt. Ah. And I think it was Allison, I think. I have a picture of her somewhere on my laptop, but she must have gotten a couple hundred signatures on her shirt. So what it did was it was a probably it was a fun way to promote the program and you know because one of the things I have on the back of my shirts is manufacturing creates Mm -hmm. And the S is a dollar sign. Yeah. And so it gets people to ask, what do you mean manufacturing creates? Well, it creates, it creates money, it creates jobs, it creates products. Right. And so everyone would start asking about it. So there's a concept is not only take your t-shirt, but, you know, hold some sort of small contest with some small prize of some sort and see who can get the most signatures on that shirt and bring it back to you. That That's a great idea. And really inexpensive too, right? It is. It, it, you know, we need to, you know, the feet on the street and, and the, the ground uh, grassroots promotion, we need to be more creative and do things like that. And that was one, you know, ultimately I had illusions of grandeur of doing this in all the high schools in the area and yeah. you know, life got in the way and I got uh, distracted, but that, I still think that was a great idea. I was just thinking that, one thing we did not do, but would have been really a good way to have folks constantly see the rapid name is wrapping our, our company vehicles. And I certainly there's a number of companies who do that. And again, that's something that's pretty inexpensive or putting on one of those magnetic decals, just mm -hmm. something so that folks in your area are constantly seeing rapid machining, rapid sheet metal just making them aware that manufacturing exists. Yeah, the brilliance of marketing. I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of manufacturers in today's world, in today's digital world, 
that are really embracing a lot of the really advanced marketing techniques. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that wasn't as a, as a industry, that really wasn't our strong suit for a long while, but there's people like yourself and others, some of that are, that I've had interviews with and been interviewed by that are doing a great job at really stressing and pushing the importance of, of marketing these really good careers that we've got. I have a question, project lead the way. Can you just describe that a little more? And I, I know of it, but I don't know enough of it. So I'm thinking I'm, maybe I'm like the typical shop owner who's listening and I want to better understand how I can get involved in it and what it entails. Well, Project Lead the Way, um, it's a really good question, by the way. Project Lead the Way is project-based learning. And it's ba- they're organizations out of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And Vince Bertrand, who I interviewed, is the president. Mm-hmm. And Vince wrote a book called Dream Differently, okay. which basically speaks to you know, a different career and different learning and, and et cetera. So basically, when I was a kid in high school a billion years ago, I took AP Physics and AP Calculus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a good student, but I got bored really easily, Jay. And so I had a real tough time focusing. And I think there's other young people that can relate to that. Some of us that are in our careers can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And so project-based learning basically takes, let's just use algebra as an example, and says, all right, let's apply algebraic uh, concepts into manufacturing and making a component. And so this algebra- there's, there's a little bit of algebra involved in manufacturing, huh? <laughs> quite a bit, quite a bit. And then when you go to physics, and I'll just, you know, since we have job shop owners on, on, you know, on the listening uh, component, when you go to physics and you start talking about the coefficient of expansion, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you start and you line up aluminum and you line up steel and you line up titanium and you line up brass, all of them have a different coefficient of expansion. Mm-hmm. So uh, in cast iron, let's talk about cast iron since it's a ma- machine tools, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you might have a tough time understanding that concept as a young person, but when you go to machine something and you machine without coolant and one just literally grows like crazy and the other one doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, beryllium copper, I guess, is very, you know, sought after in the mirrors and lenses and aerospace because it's so thermally stable. Mm-hmm. So the coefficient of expansion is very low. So those are two examples in physics and in, in math or science and math that that is project-based learning that really makes it matters and it really makes sense to a young person. And that's what I missed in my education when I was young. So how does project lead the way integrate that? Well, they integrate it usually with a manufacturing program and they try to bring in the, the math and science concepts in their program and in their curriculum so that they can actually make relevant the actual other subject matter. Okay. So that it, it makes sense. So you may take a young person who maybe isn't very good in math, and then all of a sudden you, you put relevance to it, and now they're pretty good in math. So as an owner, do I have to engage with the teachers in the high school, or are there materials at the project? I assume there's a website for Project Lead the Way. How do you... Yeah, if you go, if you go get, to PLTW, I believe, Project Lead the Way, 
I think it's .org, but mm -hmm. off the top of my head, I'm not positive. But we'll if you go to, to if you Google Project Lead the Way, mm -hmm. they'll have a list. You can download a list of Project Lead the Way schools. Mm. So let me let me just say I'm in you know Main Street USA somewhere in the country, and I said and I'm saying okay, where's my local Project Lead the Way high school? Yep. Which means they're going to have a program, a machining program, because that's basically what they're they're doing is connecting math, science, and, and manufacturing. Okay. So then you find, okay, here's a school that's five miles away from right where I am, or here's one, you know, I have a young person that is going to lead up the charge, so to speak, and his or her home is next to another one, you know, five miles from their home, and maybe they live, you know, half hour away. So then you con contact the lead of the program or the instructor, and they're just waiting with open arms to get people involved. Cool. Cool. So they'll, they'll usually ask you, you know, hey, can you come speak to my class? Mm -hmm. And then they, the next thing they'll say is, hey, can you sit on our advisory council? I've been on a number of them. They say, they've asked me, they said, look, we want to start an advisory council. Can you suggest other people? And so it, it starts to grow. So the really active programs are usually within an industrial community. Okay. So you have either an industrial area or an industrial park. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be adjacent high schools, you know, just to be an example in this area in Chicago, Elk Grove is one of the largest industrial parks in the country. Mm -hmm. well, not coincidentally enough, Elk Grove High School has a good Project Lead the Way school. Okay. And so it's easy for them to engage manufacturers because they're right there and it's convenient. And let's face it, when our high school students get out of school, particularly those that want to go from high school into the workforce, They'd rather work right around where they grew up mm -hmm. and they'd rather work in their and live in their community that they grew up. This sounds like a wonderful opportunity for someone who is phasing out of working full time. Let's say they don't want to retire, but they sold their shop and they want to give back to the community. They want to stay active. They can work with the local schools to integrate a established program. They don't have to make it all up themselves. So maybe that's something if you're thinking about what do I do after I sell my shop, you can come up with a specific plan and want to go back though to someone when they're younger and let's say the elementary schools or the middle schools, what are some of the ways that we can help promote manufacturing at that earlier age? Good question. Those of us that have been on the leading edge of trying to lead the charge, which I include myself in that mm -hmm. are, are now struggling, not struggling, challenging a better word mm -hmm. ourselves into how we do that. I have one close friend that promotes maker spaces. And what, is a, what is a maker space? A maker space is where they have some pretty basic technology. Uh, it might be uh, a robotic device of some sort. It may be a drone. It may be a 3D printer mm -hmm. you know, just you know, for, for basic technology. Mm -hmm. And so they'll bring in young people with their parents, young children, yeah, And they'll show them how technology changes our lives and changes their lives. Huh. And so at a very young age, you know, 
I know you know all about 3D printing, Jay, but a lot of people don't. And that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the later technologies that have come on. Additive manufacturing you didn't ever, it never existed when I got in the right. business. Right. And it's very, so, very exciting and attractive to, to the younger it, folks. It is. So even if the makerspace only has a 3D printer, mm -hmm. uh, very inexpensive, you know, in relative means, and in very good way to convey how making not only a product, but I mean, you can 3D print an assembly, right? Mm -hmm. So what better way to convey building something and, and the relevance of it and how it touches all of our lives, even as a young child. Yeah. I think the other thing is when I was with Flight down in Florida, they would have coloring books for elementary schools and the, the actual pictures that the children would color would actually be manufacturing content. Yeah. So they're coloring and, you know, while they're coloring, they're, they're seeing these images of, of some manufacturing setting or products being manufactured. I like that because you also get the kids off the screens and the more hands-on kids are now doing something hands-on and it's letting them it's subtly letting them know about manufacturing so you're actually connecting i think with the right kids in that sense too yeah i mean let's face it those of us who learn with our hands i mean there's a lot of us that have manufacturing mm -hmm. companies right jay yeah. that you know we work with our hands and we do better you know when we're actually touching things and working on things mm -hmm. but one thing that i that i don't want to forget and, and that's lego robotics Hmm. Uh, Legos are such a phenomenal, iconic yeah. young person toy, right? Yep. And so there's a whole element of Lego robotics. We had a young lady that, that I mentored probably from when she was 12 to, to when she was 19. And she was on a Lego, an all-female Lego robotics team. And the TMA Education Foundation that I was on sponsored their team. And they, they won the state of Illinois in their competitions against all the boy teams, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And we were giving them some money to compete in California in nationals. Well, this young lady's team, I would go to their, their parents' homes and speak to them and answer questions for them and talk about IMTS and all that. And then ultimately, this young lady, just to connect the dots, she ended up interning for me in an internship program. And ultimately... She ended up, I helped her with a friend of mine from Northwestern develop a patent pending for a, uh, a product that she came up with. And so I just mentioned that because it kind of connects the dots about mm. makerspace, Lego robotics, coloring books. If we get this into the culture at a young age in drones, I didn't mention drones. I should mention that's another really good what, conveyance of technology Absolutely. Uh, to young people. So if we can get this into their hands at a very young age, man, those are our leaders for tomorrow. I like that. And then once they get into high school, there's definitely a lot more diversity of educational opportunities. So there's more opportunities for us to get involved. One of the things you mentioned in your book was internship programs. Do you have any suggestions along those lines? I'm really glad you brought that up. I think one of the low-hanging fruit in today's market for job shop owners is internship programs. Mm -hmm. When you go to your local high school, you know, challenge them and say, hey, do you have internship programs? Because we want to have interns. 
-hmm. Now the challenge is sometimes you may have to have them start in the office because, you know, but until they're 18, you don't want them on the shop floor. Right. Right. Been there, done that. Right. And so consequently you have to be creative in how you engage them in either marketing or accounting or CAD work. You know, a lot of these programs, they have good CAD programs. So you Mm -hmm. get an, an, an intern and, and, you know, let's, let's talk about less than altruistic. I know, I talk about with you and others, a lot of altruistic intentions, mm-hmm. but if you have an intern, they're freshman, they're sophomore, they're junior and their senior year, there's your next employee. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Some of these internship programs, sometimes they're paid for, you know, by programs and sometimes, you know, you're paying them, but either way, you know, it's, it's a win no matter what. I remember we had one individual in particular who was one of the students bust in for a manufacturing day. And then he was so excited with what he saw. I'm not sure how the connection was made, but he ended up being an intern that summer. He wasn't 18, so he couldn't be out on the shop floor, but he had some CAD skills. So he got a role in estimating and he got the grunt work in the beginning, just setting up all the quotes. But by the end of the summer, he was a real smart kid and he was doing some actual quoting for us as a high school student. And he went on to get a degree in mechanical engineering. And I think part of that was just his exposure that there is an opportunity in in this world. So those are the sort of links. And then hopefully he went out and he needed prototype sheet metal or machining at some point and he and he gave us some business as well later uh, as his career progressed but anyways what, um what, one other suggestion that i would with the interns that i would have because sometimes they were doing less than uh exciting work within mm-hmm. the, in the organization i would say look i'll stay late in in for a half hour mm-hmm. and you know generally more than that it, it's hard to dedicate but I said, for a half hour, you can ask me any question you want and, mm. and about the industry, about your career, about you know what you've seen on the shop floor, how we connect to the, the marketplace or, or the culture outside of our company. Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage you know, that type of, you know, even if it's 15 minutes, sit the intern down and, and challenge them to ask questions. Because you know, today's young people, they're, they're not going to ask questions. You have to challenge them to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, but the first part is sitting down with them and engaging with them and creating that opportunity. Mm -hmm. How about other things that we didn't cover? Actually, I want to bring up one first robotics first, as it's called. Now we Mm -hmm. sponsored a bunch of different, teams from local towns at rapid and when we had the space in our facility we actually some years allowed some of the teams to build their robots there Mm -hmm. i think that that program it's made such an impact on the stem skills in our country so do you have anything you want to throw out about that as well well i think there's there's some of the the visionaries that own job shops in this area. Egon Yegen was a, a gentleman from Switzerland and mm-hmm. he was very involved in first robotics and sponsored, I think Rolling Meadows high school and a lot of other teams, but yes, first robotics is absolutely one of the top notch 
most of those kids end up going on to engineering school, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I like how, I like how they integrate though. There's marketing, there's programming. It goes way beyond the necessarily the mechanical or even electrical side mm -hmm. of the robots. And it just makes, it gives so many different kids a way to become involved with manufacturing, but not necessarily designing or making things. Yeah, and they have the, in this part of the country, they have the, they call it now robot rumble. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, they also call it battle bots, but that's yeah. now trade trademarked, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you're starting to see the battle bot, you know, TV programs, and, and they're starting to change how our young people look at, you know, mechatronics and how they look at, you know, actually, you know, automation and self-guided vehicles. And when we start having significant change to our basic culture, mm. that's when it makes it so much easier for you and I and people like us when we reach out to young people or parents because it's now going into the culture. So someone decides that they want to pursue this as a career and they go to community college or technical college, what can we do to support those colleges in making it the best experience possible for someone? Well, I think, first of all, let, let me go back to a comment you made earlier, Jay, the retiree. And, and it doesn't have to be a, a job shop owner either, by the way. Sure. Let's say you have one of, one of your top people and they're, they've been with your, you know, like us, we've had people here 45, 44 years. Mm -hmm. These schools, these community colleges and high schools, they have a need for instructors. That's one of the biggest challenges is when we get to the point where we fill the chairs, so to speak, and we fill the seats within these programs, the next biggest challenge is we don't have enough instructors because they don't now. Right. So there's a great opportunity for instructors that are coming out of industry you know, or I'm sorry, uh, machinists and operators and, and, and managers to go into potentially be instructors in community colleges and teachers uh, mm -hmm. so that so that there's adequate, you know, knowledge, tribal knowledge to pass on. But having said that, I think, you know, just a lot of the same things, you know, job shops, you know, you may have a, a machine tool that is technology wise, you know, maybe, you know, it used to be, maybe not anymore, but used to be a lot of top shops would upgrade their technology every five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now you have a six year old machine tool that let's just say you want to replace. Mm -hmm. and you go to someone like, uh, like myself that maybe they're not giving you, you know, the value that you think the machine's worth or that you know it's worth. Mm -hmm. well, you might be able to take that six or seven or 10 year old technology and donate it to the school. It's still very technologically advanced regardless. Mm -hmm. and, and donate it to the school and, and have your people train their instructor on how to use it. That's a great so that's, idea. That's a really good way to, you know, you, you get some tax considerations, maybe not a lot, but nonetheless, it's probably more valuable than the trade-in value that the machine tool guy would give you for technology that's just a little bit older. And can you get a tax write-off for that? Absolutely. Yep, you can get a credit. As far as the other things that I would say is, you know, there's videos, you know, visual. YouTube is such a powerful dynamic. Mm. And one of the local high schools did their own YouTube video to promote their program. 
but I would challenge even the smallest of shops that it, it's not hard to make a, a YouTube video to promote your careers and your company. And uh, it doesn't have to be the old fashioned way, this very professional, right? right? Yeah. I mean, the best thing you could do is get one of your interns to do, you know, in their uh, own way, some sort of a, a video that appeals to their audience, you know, mm -hmm. their, their young audience. And you can do it right on your cell phone. The, an iPhone or Android is absolutely great quality today. And it is. there's people making a lot of money. All they do is put up YouTube videos taken on their phone. Well, let me talk about reverse mentoring for a minute because I really didn't mention that. I'm mm. going to speak about that in my subsequent following book. And that is when you have an intern, you have a mentoring opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have all this tribal knowledge that you want to you know, pass on. Well, some of us aren't as technologically gifted as these young interns, right? Right. So they can reverse mentor you. So here's an opportunity for you to learn from them in, in a different manner. They have the tribal knowledge, so to speak, about technology. Right. So they go on their phone, they make a YouTube video, they go to iMovie, they actually edit the video on their iPhone and post mm -hmm. it to YouTube and they're, they're mentoring you. Yeah, I like that. And for the person who will call you the retiree, what a great way for you to become immersed in technology by getting back with the folks who, they, what do they call it? They're, they're native in, this, in the digital technology. They can help you become more comfortable with technology. I love that. How many, how many grandparents, Jay, that are listening oh. to this podcast have had their grandson or granddaughter come over and say, yeah. can you help me with this iPhone <laughs> or can you help me get on the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else on the community colleges or tech schools that you want to highlight? Well, I think anytime you can sponsor a bus uh, to go to a, a trade show or anytime you can sponsor a bus to come into your facility Mm -hmm. uh, and do a and do a walk around, you know. Once again, you, internships there as well, as well as high schools. Mm. And and then I think you know one of the things that I think we had talked about is doing some sort of a trivia contest or a uh, cocktail hour at a local, you know, maybe either uh, restaurant or or bar that might be uh, a way to get the message out about manufacturing. I like that idea. Yeah, the opportunities just seem only limited by your imagination it's a mindset that you want to be involved in engaging with the educational institutions in your community yeah i mean you've got some of the most innovative you know our audience your audience and the world we live in are some of the most creative innovative people on the planet mm-hmm yet we've not really been challenged very as often as we need to, to be creative in the way that we're talking about. Yeah. And so now, now it, it, it's, it's getting to crunch time where in order to our companies to thrive, not just sur survive, but thrive, we need to step it up and use all that creativity and innovation in a different avenue. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap it up, Terry. You've given us a, ton of great information, practical strategies. Thanks so much for chatting today. And thank you. Along those lines, I'm just thinking 
there's both individually and through our companies. And I, again, want to emphasize, it's not just you. It, it should be a company initiative. We can be proactive in developing a skilled workforce. And I really like the idea of opening your doors on manufacturing day. It worked for us. I think it's so valuable to have as many people as possible through shops. So you see that manufacturing is not a dungeon, but it's clean, it's high tech. So many ideas, practical ideas that can be implemented immediately. Some will resonate with you, some won't. It doesn't matter, just pick one or two. And if every shop owner creates at least one touch point with the younger generation, we're well on our way to a goal. Anything else you wanna? Yeah, jump in. Anything else you want to share? Here, here's my goal and my vision uh, and my hope for the future, Jay. When I wrote the book, it was to get the message on the good paying careers and all the ideas and all the brilliant people around the country that are already actively engaged like we're mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. So one of the thing, one of my hope was is that people for Manufacturing Day would have the, a book to be able to give to a, a parent. Mm. It has all the facts and figures in the book. All Great. the high-paying careers, it's all right there. So my, my vision going forward by the end of the year, maybe not by this manufacturing day, but certainly the next one, is to have four smaller books for students, parents, guidance counselors, and industry members, but during manufacturing day for students and parents, mm. a, small, a smaller version. And then I hope to also, in the four smaller books, translate it into Spanish so that you know, a Spanish, Hispanic, that's, or Spanish. That's a great Spanish. idea. That, I like that. When is the next manufacturing day, by the way? It's every October. So it'll be interesting to see if we're going to have a digital manufacturing day this right. year because of COVID. Usually if you type in manufacturing day, there's a whole website that mm. has just tons of information on it. So, you know, go to manufacturing day. It's now organized by NAM. So uh, it used to be from the FMA, but now NAM orchestrates it. But that being said, now more and more people that that get involved are starting to do a manufacturing month. I think it used to be like October 5th, I think. And then different states, you know, would say, well, we can't do it October 5th. We have to do it October 15th. or We have to do it October 31st or maybe not 31st, but, you know, 26th or whatever. And so then October became, is starting to become known as, as manufacturing month. And I think ultimately that's what you're going to find is that October will, in this country will be manufacturing day month. Terry, thanks so much. How can folks reach you if they want to connect and support you? Well, the best way to reach me would be going to uh, championnow.org. So the word champion and then now after that dot org. And then my web at the website, I have, you know, different contact information there. Terry at championnow.org is my email address or one of my email addresses. And then there's just a ton of information on that site. So that's probably the best way to reach me. And if we search YouTube, will we find videos for Champion Now? Yeah, there's a whole page of videos on Champion Now site. There's, there's a whole page of videos, interviews, podcasts. There's uh, just a ton of information. Terry, I also want to thank you and acknowledge the countless unpaid hours you've put into this effort over the years. You're truly an inspiration. Thank you so much. And you, the listener, let's be blunt. Are you going to complain that there's no one to hire yet not do anything about it? Or 
are you going to be the person to acknowledge the reality and say, I'm going to do my part to change it? It's sort of like voting. One vote doesn't make a difference, but it is our obligation to vote. And like voting, it is our obligation to engage with our manufacturing community. You made the commitment to manufacturing in your career. This is part of your commitment as an owner. Let's awaken those young minds to our wonderful world. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a super day. Thank <laughs> you.